Welcome to the Enneagram with Chelsea Nicoel. This is a positively deviant culture podcast anchored in the Enneagram. So excited to talk today about how sixes are seen and experienced by those around them and in what ways they're misunderstood. We're also going to unpack a lot of the societal and cultural norms that help us even interpret those things as less than desirable. So the two parts of this episode are really exposing the misunderstanding for the sixes so that if sixes are listening, they can say, yeah, man, like they, they don't get it, right? And feel validated in that. And also and understand how people are experiencing some of your behaviors that are linked to some of these core drives and desires. And then we also want for those non-sexes and for sexes alike to build a level of compassion for where these behaviors and these outcomes are coming from, right? When we think about the weight of the world kind of sitting on the shoulder of the six. So that's the thing is we're not actually projecting any of these attributes on sexes. We're only exposing these so we can uncover what's driving this and what's really behind it and help build, again, that awareness and compassion. And so sexes can be seen as pessimistic, cynical, overly focused on worst case scenarios, anxious, and paranoid. And we've already talked in the last episode about, oh my gosh, come on, like all these backup plans and how they can end up feeling like blockers. And I guess we're here to say, like, there's a reason for that. I'll pass it to you. I also want to be careful too, because not all sixes relate to, you know, creating backup plans, backup plans, right? But what what most sixes relate to is, is having an awareness of what could go wrong and the things that they need to consider in in more expansive ways than the rest of us. What's underneath that is important to highlight over and over, which is it's connected to their ability to predict what could go wrong and and the the skill and I would say gift of protecting humanity from dying. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in like the biggest ways and then how that works out on a daily level is managing risks and being aware of the things that could cause destruction or damage or um, enormous amount of disarray, right? That would put us in bad situations to where it would be difficult to, to flourish. That's what sixes are up to. And the sense and awareness of all of the possibilities in any situation, right? And, and what they're observing and what they're collecting in terms of, of data and what they're seeking out. It's a lot of information <laughs> and that information is, you know, it's weighty. It's a lot. It weighs us down emotionally, mentally. And so, um, and it, it becomes confusing to parse like and to uh, validate or verify all of that is a, is a huge burden. And I think that sixes for the most part do it really well. And then another point I think that is a place of misunderstanding is how much anxiety and fear that that creates because your awareness is, is greater. And coupled with that, like just walking around with that awareness that of course, any of us, <laughs> that would create some anxiety and, and fear considering, you know, how hostile um, the world is, right? But there's this other place of courage that that is missed, is that if you're walking around with that kind of anxiety and fear in such greater ways, you're also overcoming on a, on a daily basis as well. You know, taking on their day like everyone else. And the difference is, is that it just requires a lot more courage for them because they're more connected to their fears. They can also be experienced as mistrusting, skeptical, and suspicious. 
And we talked a little bit about this, you know, obviously just now with, they're trying to validate information. How would you expand on that? Yeah. I mean, it, the, one of the core things about sixes is they're trying to discover and then verify trustworthy information and trustworthy decisions and trustworthy people, right? And in order to create the best outcomes. So yeah, they're, they're going to be skeptical and they're going to approach everything as if it may not be true and to do their diligence and inside their mind and externally and check in with people and, and to do all that. So that, I think it's helpful. I mean, to know where, where the skepticism is coming from. You overuse skepticism. That's not great. And you underuse, it's not great either. So some of us need to be a little bit more skeptical <laughs> and actually do better diligence, right? So it's, it's really, how do we hit the balance? And when we go out of balance, how do we understand it with more accuracy? And, and the way that we understand it with more accuracy is really trying to understand where it's coming from. What is the source of it? And so that is, you know, just always the, the big theme with the Enneagram is where is it uh, and why? I think in terms of the negativity, I mean, we can move this to, to the social problems, you know, Chelsea, is that what comes up when we, when we consider how our American society, we, and I guess it depends on different parts of, of the country, but I live on the West Coast and I think that lots of parts of the country kind of despise negativity. You know, it's like, you know, we want can-do attitudes and we want, you know, to, 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 to consider possibility and, and to be happy and, you know, just to keep going. And, and those things are real. Like, I don't want to diminish happiness and positivity and possibility. I don't want to diminish that. However, negativity is real. Like the world is a hostile, violent place and more bad things happen than good things, you know, in, in, at least in its weight, <laughs> you know, the weight of the negativity in the world, I think is greater than the weight of positivity. I mean, you know, the majority of humans were suffering and to different degrees and for different reasons. And those things are real. And I think that, that sixes are the ones that are aware of that. And that is, um, rough and to allow that expression is equally as real as the positive positive stuff so we can overly catastrophize things sixes are prone to this and so that's something that we can you know be aware of but i think culturally we also are overly positive and you know thinking that you know anybody can become the president of the united states you know and these things aren't actually true i mean yes they're true on some level right like <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of that positivity that actually isn't rooted in, in, in a deep reality. And so both of these things are true. So again, this points to how we need each other. And the point is, is to not be angry at people who are in the positivity set, which you, you exist in that set, you know, Chelsea, um, positivity is real and we need hope and we need encouragement and we need to look for the things that are good, particularly in a world that seems weighted more towards the bad. We need that. And we also need to be honest with, with the negative and, and the, the, the things that go wrong and the, and the bad in the world. And so we, we need each other. It always comes back to this. And we need each other to be more balanced in our understanding uh, and acceptance of the fullest picture of reality. There's a place for the Debbie Downer. And like, even the fact that we have that statement, like, oh, Debbie Downer, like all of that points to the fact that we don't value this perspective. And 
the interesting thing is that while we might experience some six behaviors as pessimistic, sixes actually see themselves as realists. And I think they can help us tap into everything that you just described about the counterbalance of what's really happening in our world and the need to take it seriously and to think about how we plan for it. Um, so I, I mean, I, I've seen sixes kind of get dismissed almost like, oh, you're always so negative. And they get this feedback. Oh, you're negative. And like you said, like worst case scenarios, like they have their time and place. And then there's a balance to that. But inviting more of like, how do you see the world into, I think, more of a balanced and clear picture? Yeah, well. I think culturally we need to um, be true seekers rather than self-medicators yeah. for whatever reason is that we, we are trying to reduce our pain. And so we are consistently self-medicating and looking for ways to self-medicate and positivity is a way that we self-medicate and it can be a healthy way. So I don't want to say that it's not, but it can also be an unhealthy way. <laughs> and so sixes, um, by the way, I don't, the sixes in my life aren't overly negative, right? They're, and I feel like their positivity when sixes are positive, it feels like more deeply grounded because they're grounded in this, the realism and the awareness of the things that go, go wrong. So their positivity feels more true for a lack of a better word. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they have um, the other side of the picture. And so I think that typically the negativity, the intense negativity that's coming from sixes is generally a stress response. And there's, they're generally feeling something that's not right and they need help sorting that out. And it doesn't mean that they're wrong just because they're expressing negativity, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that, and that, so that's one thing. And the other thing is, I think it's actually healthy to have you know, expressions like even like uh, moaning, you know, we think of like Eeyore and, and, and Debbie Downer, like sometimes these, these expressions are healing. You know, there's, there's, no, I often find myself in life sometimes like moaning is the only thing that can be said. There is no words. It's just like, uh, <laughs> and I do, and I do feel like that's often the six in me. I'm just like, oh, like there, I just, no, I don't have it in me. There's nothing. Nope. I'm dead. Like I'm just, yeah. Take me now. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is honest and real and healing. Now, you know, how long we stay there is a question of, of health. <laughs> question yeah. about but yeah and, and also it's the you know the exuberance and the positivity and jumping up and down you know is also very healing but i think that we kind of know and understand culturally and socially that the celebration is healthy and good and i think that sometimes we deny that negative expressions are also good so it's this this balance we need it all yeah i've had personal experiences with sexes where you know you can there's a strong level of judgment and i think that's their ability to vet and decide to be loyal in one case or decide to, in some cases, even shut people out based on their ability to, you know, look at all of their intel and decide if people, groups, you know, even ideologies are trustworthy. And so it can be a bit of a black and white experience where it's like, and this is where they get called the loyalists too. Like they can be loyal to the end or complete. And this is also the paradox, completely flip and just you're dead to them. Like you don't exist anymore. You're gone. You're shut out. And so how does that fit into our cultural landscape in terms of 
you know, assessing credibility and maybe even like a, a self-protection or a protection, like, is that kind of an evolutionary thing where that helps us? Or what is your view on that? First, I want to say, you know, black and white positions, you know, or binary thinkers can be pretty much any of us. And ones are prone to this, uh, eights are prone to this, but in terms of, you know, having some kind of moral position and be judgmental, right? Like, so the black and white thinking often goes along with judgmental, being judgmental and, and taking a position of, of, of a morality, right? So I don't think the sixes own this, this space at all. So just to say that first, um, in terms of self-protection, I think this is the interesting conversation. If thinking about operating systems, is there um, survival strategies? So, you know, at our best, they're solving some problem in the world and they're, you know, they're they're brilliant, but also there are ways that we survive. So, which is, um, you know, their survival strategies. So in terms of what sixes are looking for uh, around security and, and certainty and guidance and support, um, their way of self-protecting is very different from the rest of ours. And, and, and we can consider that for each type. Like, how does each type self-protect? And I do think that sixes tend to, and this not the only type, but I hear sixes talk a lot about boundaries, you know, and, and six, again, are not the only type. That this is a social conversation. It seems like in, in society, in American society, you hear a lot about boundaries, and I don't want to, in my eight self, go entirely against. I think there's boundaries are important. The problem that I have in the social conversation around boundaries is, and I'll use this metaphor and I'll be extreme and it's a little provocative intentionally to get us thinking a little bit more critically about it. But when you think of humans, who are the humans that need the most boundaries? Children. Children need a lot of boundaries because they don't have the mental and emotional skills to understand and create and navigate, you know, without them. So I think that sixes tend to go to places that are secure and they tend to go to ruly places, meaning places where there's rules and it's clear, right? So this is a tendency. And again, this isn't only sixes, but a boundary is a, is a kind of rule. It's a, it's a kind of, <laughs> you know, once you make a rule around where you're going to create a boundary and for what reason it becomes fixed. And I think socially, I don't like how we are being, uh, hmm, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to be fair here because I know my bias is kicking in, right? And my bias as an eight is like, we don't need fucking boundaries. Like, what the hell? I just do it. Go out and you figure out. But I think that there's a... They could be a proxy for the yeah, root I think they issue. are. This is exactly what I'm saying, is that, 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 you, that boundaries are best used when we don't have the skills and the, the sophistication or the ability to meet the moment. And, and what I'm kind of inviting here us, for us to think about, and I do think this is the place of the six that kind of captures this, is that, um, and by the way, when sixes move to threes, threes are the best at this, at the, by nature, is meeting the moment, which means everything is contextual. Every moment requires different tools, different skills, different virtues, that it's not, there's not a set rule that you, you know, you walk in and like every situation that's like this, you use this. <laughs> that isn't um, the way that we exist, you know, in reality, that different people 
um, different circumstances require different things. And so what I'm advocating for here isn't that we don't protect ourselves. It's acknowledging that um, we have more agency than we think we do. And this is something that AIDS actually can provide. The aid in us understands ultimate personal agency, right? And that I have the ability to do whatever I want, whenever I want in any situation. I have to create a rule about it. It's just like when the opportunity comes up, there's there there might be a need or there might not be a need depending. And so what I offer as, again, just a, a point of contemplation, I'm not saying that I'm absolutely right here, but in my language, I think about agreements, which many of my sixes, <laughs> that I've had this conversation with all my sixes, by the way, my sixes say, well, you're saying the same thing. You're just using a different word. And I will usually say, well, words matter because words actually have and contain different nuances. And so I generally think that when humans kind of develop certain skills, we can move around the world more freely to where when we bump up against something, well, then we engage the other to create an agreement. What I don't like around the way that um, our society creates boundaries is there really only one person involved when we set boundaries, ourself. It is me yeah. and I am determining this is a line, this is the rule because I will protect myself. You are not allowed to do that, but you know, it's something more extreme. And by the way, I'm not, when yeah. I'm having this conversation, I am not having the conversation in context of abuse or, you know, uh, extreme situations uh, that absolutely require, you know, boundaries in every way. I'm talking about just normal everyday life, you know, where you're dealing with people and, you know, to more or less, you know, integrated and disintegrated humans in all of the contexts that are fairly normal, not extreme situations where, you know, we are in danger. But what happens is, is that when we are thinking about boundaries and self-protection, we're the owner and author of those. And I think that ultimately that isn't, that doesn't serve our relationships well because relationships are two people. So when I come up against something that I don't like in a relationship, I don't have to sit there and consider myself, oh, boundary here, da, 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 da. like I actually engage the other person's like, hey, here's my preference. Here's what I'm not liking. You know, what do you think? And in that moment, I'm giving the other person an opportunity to change my mind that maybe my preference isn't very logical or it doesn't match this particular context. Like, oh, that preference kind of works over here, but does it really work over here? Is it really the same thing? And it's opening a conversation for which now we can together understand what, what's going wrong and how we can both participate in solving it. And so I think this is something that sixes are generally so quick to rush to self-protect. And by the way, I think most humans, but I do think that, that there's some essence here that sits with the six, which is why I'm bringing it up now socially. In a social context, I think that we are, we're quick to stiff arm, you know, something we don't like, something that we feel is threatening to us. And, and sixes are usually, you know, going to be quick to, to identify threat, right? Because that's in their design. And so the, the, the potential for six is to put up boundaries quickly um, and to have this kind of action is is high. And I think that socially, this is a problem that, that, that culturally and socially, we do the same thing. We promote the same thing instead mm -hmm. of promoting interdependency, which is, and this is the, the paradox here, because sixes, when I'm actually engaged in partnership with the sixes in my life, this happens in such a magical way 
that it happens better with the sixes in my life than any other type, even though they're the very ones to put up, you know, what I would consider unnecessary boundaries, right? But once there's actually partnership involved, the way that our relationship and partnership works out is far more expansive and amazing than it is with, with the other types in my life. So I, I kind of want to just, you know, throw that out there because we are, you know, a culture podcast that's kind of rooted in the Enneagram. And I think that these, you know, um, types reveal certain um, characteristics of our society and the culture that we're in. And I think that this is something I've identified that I think is worthy to think about. Again, not that I'm correct or absolutely right on it, but how are we um, using boundaries to take the place of some skill or some place where we're less expansive. And by the way, that's okay. But I think what I don't like is that we're not admitting that. And so I think that it's mm. not that boundaries themselves aren't the answer. It's realizing what you are capable of doing and what you're not capable of doing. And if you don't have the skill or whatever, then we can just say, hey, look, I'm not skilled enough to engage this relationship without a boundary. And so I'm putting up this boundary because I'm acknowledging that that's not bad, right? Like we're all at different places. We all have different skills. We all have different capacities, et cetera, right? Or recognizing actually I might have the skills and ability to engage this relationship that is more interdependent, that's more partnered. And a boundary in the way that we normally understand boundaries isn't really necessary. Let's engage a dialogue and come up with something that suits us both. And I do think this is a six energy. This is a six space. What do you think about any of that, Chelsea? Have you thought about that before? Do you think I'm off? Yeah, I definitely know that boundaries are, they're such a part of our culture. And I've heard boundaries defined as keeping good things in and bad things out. And I think then the question becomes what is good and what is bad? And yes. what, what could we be missing as we don't take those opportunities to partner, as you've described? Yeah. I mean, and the other valuation is sometimes it depends. Exactly. It's what is good and what is bad. I think you're right. That I'll just leave it at that rather than diving down that philosophical, that philosophical hole. But I think that um, when we're in relationship, we have to be willing to accept some of the bad. And there's a, there's an opportunity in relationship to practice certain things. And if we're not actively engaging the other, in outside of a partnership, that one direction of I'm the author and arbiter and enforcer of this boundary to protect myself, that is sometimes yeah. necessary. But in at least intimate relationships, it's not very useful. And that ends up being something that actually keeps intimacy away. And in many ways, uh, keeps us from growing and learning the skills yeah. to be able to meet the moment in a very, you know, from context to context, which is going to be different. And I think that that's what I'm trying to address here is that I think that our society that socially everybody elevates boundaries and they're just rules. And even if they're personal rules, they're just still function very rule-like, which um, I think yeah. isn't as useful, even though in certain moments I acknowledge necessary. It definitely cuts the dialogue, can be seen as selfish, and in some ways is selfish because it's from this self-preservation, self-protection yeah. place. I know whenever we've partnered and I found myself in challenging situations where you could set a boundary, you could move away from a situation entirely, 
what you helped me do was to tap into the dialogue and that became really empowering. And then it wasn't just a hard and fast rule. It was engaging in the complexity and the nuance of the unique situation and looking at it from new vantage points so that you could understand where others were coming from it and find a resolution that was not at all a black and white or even option A, option B. It was really thinking in a whole new mindset about what opportunities might exist to partner. And I think what I'm hearing from you is sixes are predisposed to show us how to do this. And the paradox is that they also can fall into the trap of boundary setting because some of that rule um, based disposition. Yep, exactly. I think a question that we can ask the sixes, the sixes and the six in us is what are the most useful ways um, to self-protect? What, and in different instances, it's going to look different, right? So what are those ways? And I think, you know, an eight response <laughs> is going to be to develop strength, right? It's going to be to grow, to become more expansive, to, to learn more, I mean, to get smarter, to learn how to see better, to, you know, use different muscles and to all of our tools together are what equal a kind of strength that actually in itself is, is self-protection. I think that what's interesting in terms of my perspective is I think that um, self-protection is the result of certain practices, skills, abilities, and expansiveness. It's not something that we have to try to do outside of very specific circumstances. Of course, there's moments where we need to like absolutely in that moment, protect ourselves. But most often self-protection is the result of a lot of other things. And I think that we're missing this um, culturally, that we, that the goal we often, we see as the end, but the end is only achieved through the multiples the, the, for, through many variables, through many practices, many skills, many abilities, and they add up to the result. And it's not possible to have that end and achieve it without becoming something. And so I think that's my ultimate invitation. And I think is the invitation of the Enneagram is who must we become and what is the process of becoming so that we can experience the, the things that, that we need and desire the most. And, and oftentimes we're going about them the wrong way. And this is where the paradoxes come in, right? The very, the very things we think we need are, are often we're off. And, and that's, that's some of the wisdom of, of the Enneagram. Since we're on the topic of self-protection, the defense mechanism of the six mm. comes to mind, which is projection. And and so I'm curious if you can help us uncover, think through what means to an end does the self-protection strategy of projection help the six to achieve, right? Like not that it does achieve that, but it's an attempt to gain more security. And so what are your thoughts there? Well, you talk about this a little bit, Shelza. I could see you have some thoughts. So I'd like to hear, well, like, what are you thinking I, here? What does I mean, it get? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. And then, okay. yeah, let's expand on that. I'm thinking that sixes want to play out some of those worst case scenarios or validate the way that they're experiencing or seeing the world through trying it on, on other people. Okay. 
This, no, this is this would be actually a new consideration for me. The first thing that comes to mind, which I always have to get out of the way to, to be responsible, is that humans project. <laughs> All humans are, I mean, we are absolutely creatures of projection. So this is so not limited to, to the six. But so tell me more in terms of the nuance. Yeah. I think also that because sixes are geared towards security and they're seeking certainty, playing out scenarios where they almost influence the outcome, like setting the scene to where they're, they're putting a scenario into play and then it's inevitable, like a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy is what I'm getting to. And I'm curious, like what that and I'm thinking out loud, how does that serve the six? What, what activity is going on there where this is what, you know, they're putting out into the world. And I wonder, is it, I think this is going to happen. This is the worst case scenario. I project it on other people. I put it out there and then it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. And the outcome of that is, see, I was right. See all of everyone I'm telling all these things are wrong and all these things are going to happen look, there it is. There's proof there. And I'm not saying this comes from a healthy place. I think yeah, it comes yeah. largely from the like subconscious. Well, I think that you're onto something here. And I think I'll kind of maybe try to rephrase it in my, my language um, that because sixes are most rooted in the need for security and safety, that this becomes a, a more prominent consideration, even though, like I said, all humans do this. In my experience with sixes, this does happen, but I don't think that it's conscious. Like, I don't think that sixes are consciously trying to prove they're correct. Here's what I'll say. When all humans are attached to their fears, what most humans do is when they're identifying a threat they're trying to eliminate that threat as quickly as possible. I don't think that sixes or, or other humans are acutely aware of what the threat is. Usually they're experiencing a threat and they're not actually locating it accurately. And if we don't have the skills to actually analyze or understand the validity of that threat, we're just triggered and we're triggered for some reason, we haven't given the attention to actually um, analyze, then we just react out of fear. And one way out of a situation when it's, when you're feeling threatened is to villainize <laughs> and project what it is you think it might be in inaccurate ways. For sixes, like the, the hanging in the ether completely alone or like this kind of abandonment. I think there's some testing of boundaries. Are, are you really with me? And this goes back to the, the skepticism and the loyal kind of concepts, as well as that push and pull, right? Like we've well, it's also the, like, cause I'm looking, I'm thinking about sixes in the past that have had problems with other people. And I'll speak to my own experience first. Some of my closest and best friends are sixes because they ultimately see me as the most trustworthy because they know me well enough and because they're not sixes who are um, in any kind of deep insecurity, right? Yeah. They're, they're more evolved and they can see that, oh, actually, Nico, well, what she's doing is actually more trustworthy, even though it's counterculture and even though it requires a lot of risk, they can see behind that and go, oh my gosh, the commitment. They can see the mm -hmm. commitment that's actually there to relationship and to the other is, even though atypical, actually stronger. 
Other sixes who don't know me that well or in a stress response will see me, experience me as very dangerous because I don't play by the rules. And they'll quickly, in a state of stress, identify, oh, this person does not play by the rules and she has a lot of personal power. Again, I don't think it's conscious. I don't think that they're consciously walking around saying, oh my gosh, Nicoelle is like, you know, dangerous person. But they're triggered by my ability to break the rules so easily and to not be affected and to push against the things that they determine as the most stable. So when I come in and push against their sources of stability, that triggers them in deep ways and, and, and I become very unsafe because in the moment they don't have the ability or the energy to evaluate what's actually really going on or to ask questions or to investigate in their normal ways with any accuracy. Instead, they just project oh, this person is a threat, and then they'll start looking for things. They won't actually be able to identify what's underneath it and the intention and the purpose or understand the precision of language and context for which I'm operating. And so that can go wrong. And and this is often how it goes for many humans, not just sixes. So I keep wanting to say that, but it is, it is, you're right, because sixes are, are, are ultimately sensitive to security, trust, loyalty, safety. And that's not just externally, but it's internally in terms of relationship. There's an intellectualization of like gathering evidence, even though it's inaccurate evidence in order to hold it against the person. So it's like, I'm going to gather this, all this negative evidence so that I can justify me rejecting. If there's no justification, they won't feel good about rejecting or having whatever action that is a kind of cutting off or whatever it is, right? And again, humans do this. You summed up my experience, like working with lots of sixes and having some interactions that were like this, as well as in my personal life with friends who were sixes. And it was, it wasn't black and white. You're right. I think we unpack this to the point where understanding what's really at play there. It's really interesting. I mean, this is what I'm here for is really kind of examining how this is in all of us and how each of these points can kind of expose certain things. And I don't mean to be overly authoritative. It's something to consider. And I think that it's worth our attention is, is, is considering how are we self-protecting? Have we got it right in terms of what is it that we're familiar with What is it that we think we need to be safe? And what are the potentials that it's actually the opposite? And I suppose that's what I'm offering is that, that oftentimes it's the opposite of what we're thinking that actually achieves what we want. And for an example, this, we'll get to this when we get to sevens, but I'd say the ultimate forms of freedom exist inside limitation. That's a paradox. Sevens are like, you know, the most interested in in freedom and I have a strong seven in me and right. But the, 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 the deepest, most secret spaces of freedom always contain a limitation and a restriction and like jazz. So, and you talk about security, you know, the ultimate forms of security and safety require risk. And that's scary. Right. And so is like, if you're interested in freedom to be restricted, scary for eights, you know, it's, you know, the ultimate forms 
of, of power and strength is vulnerability and fragility. That's fucking scary <laughs> for an eight. And so this is the invitation is these are the kind of conversations that we're wanting to have is where are the scary places and, and, and what are we missing in our conscious and unconscious drives to, to remain safe? And we all have this. We all have a need to be safe and we all have the experiences of certain things feeling like death. This is not just sixes, right? But I do think that sixes are a great place to start this conversation. So there's another area of sickness that we actually talked about in the last episode around like over planning or, you know, planning for things that other people aren't seeing as a need. And there's also this potential misunderstanding of overcomplicating. Like, why are you overthinking this? So how would you respond to that misunderstanding of the type six? The misunderstanding is, is that our minds are and our heads are a center of intelligence, just like our hearts and our bodies, and we need it all. And it's not something that we can just shut off, you know, and we shouldn't just shut off. It's the, the invitation here is that it's the quality of our thinking. It's the quality of our feeling and it's the quality of our being, referencing the body, right? And in, in incarnation or embodiment, or there's many words to it, that it's the quality of how we're showing up and it's the quality of how we're engaging ourselves and, and, and the quality of how we're engaging our resources, the mind, the body, the heart. It's not that we're there, <laughs> you know, or that we're spending a lot of time there. So it's not the quantity it's the quality of what we're thinking and it's the quality of how we're thinking. Not that we're doing a lot of thinking. This is just a reframing of it is that it's not to get out of our heads. It's just to integrate all of it so that we're, we are in our heads and we are in our hearts and we are in our bodies. This is the, the complete form of integration and embodiment. And we can't become without all parts of us being present and activated at the same time. And so I think this is, um, you know, culturally a good discussion of what does it mean to be an overthinker mm -hmm. and is overthinking bad and what makes it bad? Can we consider adding more versus subtracting? And so this is, you know, and I just throw that out there as a, as a, as a contemplation. This has been a great conversation and I really hope that there's some key takeaways around the misunderstandings of the sex as well as the gap between how our society and our culture views certain aspects of the sex and what that tells us, what that exposes to us. So thank you so much for listening. And if you're interested in reaching out, we would love to engage with you. So hit us up on LinkedIn. 